This is The Instigators, presented by Seneca Resorts and Casinos. Nothing else comes close. We are going to On the heels of a top prospect scoring his first overtime winner for the Rochester Americans. What a segue into Instigators Overtime, the prospect edition, Marty Baran, presented by Seneca Resorts and Casinos. Well, the old saying is you're a prospect and you're a project, and then some of them turned out as rejects. So hopefully this list and this conversation with Scott Wheeler tells us that those prospects are projects and will be stars that's what we're trying to break the mold here and that uh, that is why we uh, talk to scott and learn more about every one of these prospects scott wheeler from the athletic uh, joined us on the main show a little earlier in the year we have been blessed in this past decade to locally have chris baker with sabers prospects be a guy that can be counted on all the time for every little nuance and uh, tendency of so many guys who have come through the annual draft and it's it's amazing to me, Marty, how many people like Chris and like Scott invest so much time for the betterment of hockey fans around the globe, because that's what this is. This is the far reaching stuff and pulling it all together to make it somewhat more digestible for people like us that simply don't have enough hours in the day to possibly know about all these guys. Yeah, like you have to know the 23-man roster on every NHL teams, and then you get to know the 23 to 25 guys in every AHL teams and some guys in the ECHL and college players and Canadian junior players and American junior players and European players. I mean, literally, I would lose my mind. I would literally lose my mind. So those guys, they, uh, they, they have a passion for it. And uh, they shared that passion with all of us, which makes us, uh, you know, more knowledgeable about the prospects. And Scott, of course, has written recently for The Athletic, uh, his breakdown that has Buffalo at top spot on the prospect pipeline for the first time since he's been starting the project. Now, when you're serious about the game, we want you to bet on Buffalo at the only sports books in Western New York. Seneca Resorts and Casinos betting counters are open daily and self-service betting kiosks are available 24-7 at all three locations. Whether you visit Seneca Niagara, Allegheny, or Buffalo Creek, the Sports Lounge features the latest lines and multiple screens so you never miss a play. The sports book at Seneca Resorts and Casinos where the love of the game meets the thrill of the win. Scott, I'm fascinated by how this all comes together. So do you know when you start writing who's likely at the top or do you start writing team evaluations and have some formula that at the end, the number one becomes obvious? No, the ranking typically starts to get built out in terms of 32 to one uh, in, in about November. So November, December, I begin thinking about the project. I begin sorting the players in each team's prospect pool into kind of loose tiers and it's pretty defined at that point this year, for example, that it was either going to be Buffalo or LA one, two in some combination and that the Minnesota wild were going to be three. So uh, that sort of took shape pretty quickly this year. And then once you get into the process and you, you begin thinking about it, you might move a team up one, you might move a team down one trades happen players like a Jack Quinn start to outperform your expectations. Uh, and over the course of that process, you make tweaks, but by and large, teams don't tend to move after November, December, more than up one, down one, that kind of a thing. What's easier, finding the top team or the worst team in the prospect pool? 
it's actually the middle teams are the most difficult. The top teams and the bottom teams are almost self-evident. I think it, virtually every person, even people who aren't very familiar with prospects who even follow it kind of casually can look at the teams at the bottom. Seattle at the moment, obviously, they only have eight prospects in their entire system that yeah. qualified for my ranking, whereas some, of, some other teams have 20, 25. Uh, so things like that are pretty clear. And then at the top, I mean, you don't have to look very hard to realize that Buffalo's got a really good group now. So uh, that part of it's easy. It's what's the difference between the 12th pool and the 19th pool. Uh, that's where it starts to get, get a little tricky. Scott, it's the first time, correct, that you have Buffalo at the top? Yeah, they were 15th a year ago, and that's a, a significant jump. You, you typically see teams slide up or down seven, eight spots. But moving up 14 spots and moving up as far as number one is is a huge rise. So and you also the big, mentioned, the big, sorry, ahead, Marty, the, the big question, the, you know, in that is people have been looking for a long time in this market and believing in the prospects that were there, but perhaps not in the great quantity that exists mm -hmm. now. Um, so the obvious question is, why now does Buffalo vault into your number one spot? Well, the big thing is last year's draft, 11 picks. I thought they did really well with the picks that they had. Obviously, Owen Power is the sort of crowning jewel and, and in my estimation, the best prospect on the planet these days up there with Jake Sanderson, Luke Hughes, those kinds of names. Uh, so you've got the clear number one player in the world who's been injected. You've got 11 new players, which is a huge haul. Obviously, there's only seven uh, rounds in the draft, so you typically expect to see six to eight players added to a pool each year, and they've added more than that. And then on top of that, two of arguably their five best prospects have been added by a trade in Peyton Krebs and Devin Levi. And Devin in particular has really, over the course of the last two years, changed his outlook and become one of, in my estimation, the five, six best goalie prospects in the world these days. And in that same conversation with the names that we always hear, the Yepper Wallstedts, the Yaroslav Askarovs, uh, he's, he's in that group now. Uh, Sebastian Kosa, who was obviously a first rounder in last year's draft. Uh, so it, that that's a big deal too. So it was kind of a two-pronged improvement. There was the, the excellent draft in 2021 that made them better and made them deeper as a group. And then Peyton Krebs and Devin Levi are, are significant additions as well. Scott, in your piece that you wrote on The Athletic, you talk about the LA Kings having more depth in their mm -hmm. prospect, like more quantity, if you want to say, but the quality is really on the Sabres. Is, is that what teams are looking for to say like, hey, let's have four or five really, really high-end prospects. If we have 10 good ones, it doesn't do us any good. Is, is that mm -hmm. like the Sabres, the way they're looking at it? Yeah, I, I, I think it has to be. And I think that has to be the way that every team looks at it. It's the same reason that I think teams should be going after talent in the draft rather than looking for those depth pieces. You can find a third or a fourth line player or a third pairing defenseman every year in the summer for cheap and free agency, but it's the true top of the lineup sort of game changers that, that decide what happens with the trajectory of your franchise. Increasingly, this is a star driven league. We're seeing it in Tampa. We're seeing it in Toronto. We're seeing it with the, in Colorado, the best teams in the league these days are carried by their best players and depth is still important. That doesn't mean you don't need good organizational depth, but it's the Owen Powers, the Peyton Krebs, the Devin Levi's, J.J. Paterka, Jack Quinn. Those are the kinds of pieces that really distinguish this Sabres pool. And certainly, I think if you were to count the number of, say, B-grade prospects, that L.A. would have a greater number of good prospects 
than the Buffalo Sabres. But those five or six names I mentioned at the very top, I think they've distinguished themselves as slightly stronger than the group that LA, which is also quite strong at the top, has assembled. When you mention LA and the philosophy you think teams should employ, I can't ever, I probably won't ever get past, and I don't know what he's going to be, but I, I, Arthur Kaliev to me was really interesting. And, you know, he's been in a different role, but he just yeah. kind of keeps clawing his way up. And, you know, I, I, I agree. I think you may as well try and go after guys that have a potentially big upside offensively. So uh, you mentioned Paterka. Why don't we go there for a minute? Um, how has your view on him changed in this last calendar year? Well, I think heading into the draft and even coming out of the draft, you saw this extremely hardworking, stocky, athletic kid. And you thought, okay, with the way he plays the game, the style he plays, the pace he plays with, this is a player who probably projects as a, as a very good third line energy guy who can contribute offensively. And now over the course of the last two seasons, I think he has tunnel vision blessed. I think he used to be so net focused and he was always trying to attack. And now he's starting to survey his options more. He's starting to slow down. He's starting to make plays more consistently. And then suddenly you can upgrade his projection and say, okay, maybe this guy's a middle six guy rather than a, strictly a third guy, third line guy. Maybe he can play on a second line. Uh, and if that is the case, that's a, that's a huge upgrade. That's a, a, a more significant piece of the puzzle. So I, I really like, and I could say the same thing about Jack Quinn, but I really like what has happened with Paterka in terms of his progression. He's come along quite nicely. And now he looks like a, leg a legitimate NHL prospect, not to say he wasn't before, but he, he's definitely helped his status and he's close now. He's, he's going to be knocking on the door in the next year or two. I was surprised that you had him fifth. Was that hard to do? And I'm sure Duffer, who loves J.J. Paterka, by the way, because we were yeah. doing the Sabres game and he comes around to me. And, yes, J.J. scored again in Rochester as he's watching on his laptop. Uh, was it a hard place to say, I can't believe I got I have J.J. Paterka fifth? Or did you feel that was uh, that was, you know, the the right approach. I think maybe we're a little uh, enthusiastic about J.J. And, and what he can become. So maybe fifth is more uh cautious uh for everybody to see him at yeah uh, it certainly it was difficult if only because that that top five is just so strong um i just struggled wrapping my head around ranking him ahead of a, a krebs or a quinn who are obviously fabulous pieces as well so uh it, it wasn't to downplay who jj is i think jj is an outstanding young player and certainly one of the best young players in the ahl this season i think he's shown that again and again uh, but it, it just speaks to the depth. It speaks to the number of, of good pieces that they've sort of assembled at the top. And it speaks to Devin Levi and the historic season that he's having at Northeastern. Uh, and the fact that he, he, this is a kid who may well win the hobby Baker, which hasn't happened since Ryan Miller in 2003. So uh, th that Devin as well, just made it even more of a challenge. So your five, top five for the Sabres are Power, Krebs, Quinn, Levi, Paterka. Marty, did you want to follow up on Levi at all, just uh, based on what you've seen? And, and well, I, I guess, Scott? yeah, I guess that, that could be a good follow-up is, uh, do you think, and and I mean, Northeastern goes on to the bean pot and is, is backup, basically, has a lights-out tournament, right? And yeah. Levi goes to the Olympics, doesn't play a single game, not a single minute. So is, does that affect... Maybe how the rest of the season plays out. Is there a situation where we could see, you know, Levi like really looking at 
well, I'm turning pro, and if they're if they're good with the other guy, I might as well do what Lafontaine did, or is it Fontaine, or what's that going on? Yeah, Lafontaine did, and just say I'm leaving early, and there we go. Could could we see that happening? I don't think so. He doesn't strike me as that kind of a kid. I think he has unfinished business. I think he cares about the hobby Baker and potentially winning it. Uh, but certainly, even just the dynamic of seeing how well they played without him uh, in the bean pot, I do wonder whether that will make people not question Devin, but question the the numbers and just how incredibly impressive they have been. That team at Northeastern defends very well. Jaden Struble, Josh Harris are are these are quality quality NCAA defenders. Uh, so he's got a, he's got a good team in front of him, and they've turned it around. Last year they struggled with injuries, even out of the gate. This year they struggled with injuries. Uh, but yeah, you know, it's, it, I, I still think he's going to finish uh, this season and turn pro at the end of this season. And I think he, if he continues to play like he has, the, the backup uh, situation is not even a question there because he plays every game. And I think despite how well uh, he played, that you're still going to see him play virtually every game down the stretch. Uh, and, and you'll see him in that Hobby Baker conversation. So how does your view of him, Levi, differ from that of fellow collegiate netminder Eric Portillo and current mm. AHLer, soon to be back in the NHL, or, uh, NHL we presume, in Uko Pekalukkanen? How, how do you view the three of them? Well, I'm a big fan of Portillo. Uh, I did a feature on Portillo earlier in the year where I went down to, to Ann Arbor and spent some time with him and got to know him and uh, he's been, he's another kid who plays every single game there. They don't play their backup at all. He plays every night back to backs all weekend. It doesn't matter. He's playing every second of ice that they can give him there. And he's been outstanding this year. And obviously two very different goalies. Devin is the quick footed sort of smaller goalie who really holds his lines can stick with shooters. Excellent on breakaways. And Portillo's the, the big kid who fills the net and plays a sort of commanding style. Uh, Portillo is also an excellent passer from behind the net. It's something that he's made a big name for himself as. Uh, it really starts their breakouts on that team and is a big piece of their breakout. Uh, so there's a lot to like about Portillo. I actually just fell in love with the kid as well. He's a very uh, energetic, intelligent, articulate kid. Uh, and I think that will bode well for him as he tries to sort of climb up the ranks. But it's going to be interesting to see what they do with those three kids. Obviously, Uko Pekka has shown some some nice signs in the NHL. But I would probably argue that at this point is the third most compelling of those three goalies, if only because he's older and he has had some struggles at different pro levels below the NHL now. Uh, obviously, injuries were, were a big part of that as well. But Portillo and I mean, Portillo and Levi are two of the best goalies in college hockey and both quite young still uh, I suspect that Levi turns pro at the end of this year and that Portillo turns pro at the end of the following year so that does give for some good staggering in terms of just timelines you can bring them along at different times they don't have to immediately fight with each other in the AHL or anything like that uh, so I think that will help just that they're they're coming out they're likely coming out of college on different years but I think Portillo and Levi have a chance to be everyday NHL goalies. And if, if two of those three guys can become a 1A or a 1B for you, that's an, a very good tandem to have in this next chapter for the Sabres. So uh, I'm optimistic that at least two of the, of the three of those guys will work out. 
God, should teams draft a goalie every year, or at least maybe sign a college free agent goalie and have one goalie prospect every year come into the fold? I look at Nashville, Duffer and I, well, Duffer went down a rabbit hole and looked at all the prospect and the draft pick, but I believe Nashville has drafted 18 goalies in the last 17 years or whatnot, a crazy number, yeah. and some teams don't. But Nashville finds these goalies, even though some of them are not even drafted, but they, they have that mentality to think, goaltender one a year one a year that's what we have to do do you believe in that as i sure do but i i'm sort of it, kind of interesting to find your your opinion on it yeah as far as the draft goes i don't i don't hate that as a philosophy at all give yourself as many options as many lottery balls as you can work with kids of different sizes we're now seeing goalies like devin levi and, and dustin wolf who has obviously been tremendous in stockton this year and is going to be a goalie for the calgary flames we're seeing those five foot eleven six foot goalies begin to make it and then we're also seeing the portillos of the world who are really defining themselves in ways that Ben Bishop and Devin Dubnik, these six foot six, six foot five goalies that fill the net. So get, look at, look, I'd, I'd look at both of those types of goalies. I wouldn't shy away from taking goalies. You're absolutely right. Nashville's a team that seems to take one or sign one every year. The Leafs have drafted a goalie, I think now in the sixth or seventh round in like eight or nine consecutive drafts. So it's definitely a strategy that's being employed by teams. And all you need, because there's only two players at that position in every organization, all you need is one guy every eight or nine years to, to make it work and make it worth your, worth your picks. So uh, I, don't, I don't dislike that as a strategy at all. I think there's, there's probably value there. And that's where Sabre fans, until Ryan Miller's departure, have been spoiled for the bulk of the franchise's history. It was remarkable to see through like 42 years of this team, how few goaltenders actually played for the team. Now in the last nine <laughs> years, we have seen a dramatic increase and we've had some, you know, unique and, and, and some decent success stories there uh, yeah. on some tough teams, but uh, you're right. It's I, I, I love the discussion of the philosophy behind it and, and ultimately the path that these net minders take to, to find their way into the NHL. Ryan Johnson to me is until he ultimately makes it, he's, he's going to be this kind of wonder and wild card guy. Like he doesn't do anything super crazy highlight material. Right. Mm -hmm. But yeah. his dad was an excellent skater. He's an excellent skater. Where does Ryan Johnson fit in and all of this, given how much we talk about the Sabres, and their blue line prospects. Yeah, well, I think once you get outside of that top five that we've talked about, he's really at the front of that next year. He's that sort of, if those guys are A's, he's that B-plus prospect that every organization also needs and covets. And I, it's funny, I in the, in the run-up to the Olympics, I got uh, sort of asking around to NCAA coaches about who belonged on that team. And when the roster was announced, I got a, a message from one NCAA coach who said, if they weren't already taking four players from the University of Minnesota, Ryan Johnson probably would have been on that team as well. And they, the coaching staff probably had to cut them off from the number of players that they were taking uh, to, to the Olympics from one team. So that speaks to the depth that, that that college program obviously has, but it also speaks to the respect that, that Ryan has has earned around the league and obviously Brock Faber was on that team and uh, there were some there are some very impressive blue liners on that Minnesota team but Johnson is is excellent and plays with Brock Faber and plays a lot and you're, you're right he's he can play both sides which I think will have value 
Uh, he can play on, he's got lots of experience, frankly, playing both sides. Uh, he skates extremely well, which helps him play both sides. And even if he's not going to be a power play one guy or a penalty kill one guy, he's still a player that you could imagine playing a regular shift at even strength and kind of filling in on special teams wherever he's needed. And that maybe makes him a third pairing guy or a number four guy rather than a top three guy. But every, again, every organization needs those pieces. And there are some darn good number four, number five defensemen in the NHL these days. So that's kind of what I imagine for Ryan's future. Isaac Rosen was selected 14th overall, obviously the second first round pick after the mm -hmm. Sabres selected Owen Power. So sometimes there's a pick and everybody seems to say, oh, I like this pick. And, and listen, I have no idea why we should love Isaac Rosen or not. I did not scout him. But I look back at Jack Quinn and everybody was like, eh, Jack Quinn. Okay, man, there was Marco Rossi. There was uh, other players there. So why is it that sometimes in the middle of the first round, people are so excited about one person and not about another one? And who knows what they're going to turn out? Well, you're absolutely right. Once you get outside of that top eight, top nine in any draft, it, it starts every kid's got warts. Every kid has question marks you don't really know what you're getting in any of those players. It does really fall off at about eight or nine in every draft class. And last year's draft was no exception to that. So then it's okay. Who do we like? What stylistic preferences are we looking for? Uh, and all of that comes into the question. I think what drew people to Isaac was the idea that if he does hit, if he does make it, it's going to be as an offensive player. He's not the kind of player who projects as a third line guy right he's not going to be a bottom six piece so there's a little bit of a risk reward element there but I think that's a worthwhile risk to take at that point in the draft because if he capitalizes on all of his talent he's an excellent skater he's dynamic with the puck on his stick he's got a dangerous dangerous shot and those are the players again that I think teams should be targeting because even if you miss on a few if you're hitting on one you're getting a more impactful player than say that bottom six guy that you could have targeted there so Isaac's a really interesting player. I'm actually working on a story on him at, at the moment that'll be out in the next month or two. And just learning about him and learning about his skill set, he, he's got some real, real talent. And the skating and puck on his stick, he, he can really make plays. Uh, this year's been a bit of a transition year as he's tried to establish himself with his SHL club. So it's been a bit of an up and down year, but that's pretty typical for mid to late first round picks in Sweden. It's a hard league. It's arguably the third best professional league in the world these days. So um, all of that comes into the equation. I think if you give him time, if you give him another couple of years to become a top offensive player in the SHL, and then you bring him over into the AHL or NHL conversation, I think you could have a really exciting offensive player there. So Uh, you you just got to hope that he gets stronger, that he fills out. He's kind of a tiny kid, but he's plenty of skill for sure. Do you remember where you had him on your rankings going into that draft? I had him 20th or 21st, I believe. So they took him a little bit higher than that, but I didn't I didn't dislike it at the time at all either. He he was sort of in that teens, early 20s range for me. Um, I can't I, I can't not let you comment on a player who is I think so far off of most people's radar mostly because of really scary injury that cost him an entire season and then some but you mentioned Minnesota and the program that they have and the depth yeah. that they have so Aaron Huglin's way down the depth chart but 
there's seemingly a lot more conversation about Aaron in the last few months on social media than there had been from the moment Buffalo drafted him, quite frankly. So what do you see in Hugelin? And could this be one of those incredible stories down the line for Buffalo? Potentially, yeah. He's still a long shot for sure. That back injury, as you mentioned, basically cost him an entire year of his life and his training, not just getting on the ice and skating, but also even in the gym, it was hard. Uh, So all of that is a factor. And on top of that, he was kind of always a skinny kid. So now he's suddenly 21, 21, 20, 21 years old, and he's got catch up to do in terms of getting stronger, getting to where he should already be if he'd had that time. But in talking to people in the USHL last year after he came back, in talking to people even before the injury in terms of his high school career and when he was 16, 17 years old, everybody always said the same thing, which is this kid has has a ton of skill. And with the puck on his stick, he is a lot of fun to watch. And that doesn't show up in the numbers in college right now, but you already mentioned the depth there is a huge factor. I think they're expected to graduate multiple players this year. And if not this year, definitely next year, you'll see guys like Matthew Nyes. You'll see guys like Chad Lucius turn pro and in that Huglin, I I could imagine him as a junior or a senior coming in and into his third or fourth year suddenly he goes from half a point per game to a point per game in college and really takes advantage of power play time and even this year as as sort of shallow as his numbers and his stats appear he makes a lot of plays in limited minutes with that team so uh, he's a kid who was obviously at the end of my list and would is still considered for sure a huge long shot but just absolutely worth keeping an eye on, if only because he, he's a much more talented kid than his trajectory maybe indicates so far. So a couple of years ago, the Sabres in the second round got a guy named J.J. Peterka. We talk about him. He's in your top five. Now, last season, they drafted two Russian, Kisikov and Poltapov, in the uh, second round. And everybody's like, who? Like, we never heard of these guys. Like, it's like nobody followed the KHL or whatnot last season, uh, you know, I, I what are they up to? Like, how is their projection? I know you've got them in that middle tier right now. I think you have them at 10 and 11 and 12 with the, uh, the prospect rankings for the Sabres. So how are they doing? Well, Kisikov was a kid who I really liked. I was much fonder on him last year heading into the draft than most scouts were. He was an older player in that draft class. And despite being older, didn't have much pro experience coming into the draft. But in the MHL, in their top junior league there, he was, for my money, the most dynamic player other than Matt Benichkov, who's obviously a sensation. Yeah. Uh, he was the most dynamic player in that league last year for me. And every time he had the puck on his stick, he was making something happen. His hands are slick. Uh, again, like Rosen, he's a very skinny kid. He struggled to get add muscle, get stronger. So you're hoping that that happens over time. Uh, and this year has been maybe not as good a progression for him as you'd hope for after how dynamic he looked in the MHL last year. He still hasn't sort of gone up levels and really started to establish himself. So you hope that that happens. I think when it does happen, he's the kind of kid who's, he's a point producer. He's going to score. He's going to play on the power play. He's going to make plays. That's his bread and butter. Uh, He's not going to be a checking forward per se. But he's a long-term guy. A lot of those Russians are. You don't often expect them to come over here anyways until they're 22, 23, 24 years old. Uh, and I think you're, you're looking at the same kind of path for Kisikov. And it would not surprise me in the least if he was a top producer in the KHL at 23, 24. And then suddenly he's interesting in the conversation for, for the Sabres. So 
That's what I see in Kistikov. And then Poltipov's a very different player. Poltipov is the kid who projects into a bottom six kind of role. He's hardworking. He's physical. He plays in the middle of the ice. If Kisikov is the perimeter guy, Poltipov's the guy who's always in the thick of things. He's always in the action. Uh, so two very different players. But you need that variety in your in your prospect pool. You need guys who can fill roles, and then you also need guys who can create offense. So uh, definitely very different players. But I, I like both of them as as again that kind of B grade prospect. Scott, you obviously had to define criteria as far as experience. Um, you know, when when making this list of prospects, I'm wondering though, how often do you find yourself? Um, tweaked by a name that is just on the periphery of that criteria and the example from buffalo's organizational standpoint right now would be brandon byro <laughs> uh you know so like beyond your criteria should <clears throat> buffalo fans be interested and very optimistic about what byro is accomplishing now as a healthy full-time pro yeah, it's been a it's been a solid year. That 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 Rochester team has been filled with just good stories. Players who are playing maybe not super over expectations, but they're meeting expectations or exceeding them. And Brandon fits into that mold for sure. I think mm -hmm. he has now established himself as a legit call-up option. And then eventually within the next year or two, I think you'll see him go from call-up guy who plays spot minutes to full-time guy. And I, I think that's within the range of, of possibilities for Brandon. So it's, he's been great. I mean, he just looks like a good player. He's one of those kids who isn't going to wow you. I wouldn't say he's dynamic, but he is just an effective, good hockey player. And I think you've seen that in the AHL this year. And I think he's earned everything he's been given his whole life too. He was never a top prospect going up. He was never a big name. He's just played well wherever he's gone and that has continued in Rochester. So I'm looking forward to seeing what Brandon does with it, even if he was 23 years old, which kept him narrowly out of my, out of my criteria for the list. Scott, last one for me. Um, hockey draft, the NHL draft can be such a crapshoot, right? In the NFL, you draft a guy, boom, he's in your lineup. You know, he's 21, 22 years old, sometimes even 23 and they move mm -hmm. right up. You're drafting 18 year old year olds, and sometimes there's 17 going into the draft. So such a crapshoot. Would you want to make any adjustment to the NHL draft? Like I have a suggestion. Only the first round would be 18 year olds. The rest of the round two through seven would be 19 year olds. And you would give yourself an extra year to be able to watch them and, and to develop and, and be able to get a better sense of them. I don't know if you spend so much time with, with looking at prospects, if you had a way maybe that you would want to tweak the draft and see where it would go. I don't know whether there's any major tweaks uh, that I would make to the draft, but I can already hear while you're talking, I can hear David Branch tempting his fingers at home that he gets to keep all of those 18 year old kids for in the CHL for an extra yep. year. Um, <laughs> so, so that I, I think certainly the junior leagues would love that they'd be all over that. Uh, but no, it, I, don't, I don't mind that idea. It's something that's been discussed. But I also just think it, it works as it's currently constructed. I think the junior leagues are set up in a way that is, is perfectly fine. I, I, like everybody else, really enjoyed watching teenagers play in the AHL last year. But I think they had a little bit more success in the AHL last year because of taxi squads and how many of the top AHL players were in the NHL. And I think we're seeing this year with a lot of those kids 
that have been allowed to stick around and play in the AHL this year, that it's not, they're not finding it quite as easy as they did a year ago. Uh, so I do think that it's, it's pretty well constructed right now. And I love that the game is getting younger. I love that we're seeing 18, 19, 20 year old kids break into the NHL more consistently. Uh, but on the flip side of that, there's also been questions about recent first overall picks even. And obviously Owen Power didn't make the jump this year. Alexi Lafreniere struggled and is still struggling. Jack Hughes, even in his first year, as good as, good as Jack looks now, he didn't have a, the sort of first overall year that we used to expect out of these kids. And there are already conversations about Shane Wright in this upcoming draft and whether Shane is going to return to Kingston next year rather than play in the NHL. So, it, yeah, it's pretty rare now that we see 18-year-olds. So I don't think you'd be losing out if you move the draft to a 19-year-old draft. You'd only really ever be losing out on the McDavid's and the Matthews. And there's probably you can probably make exceptions for those guys anyways. Uh, but again, I, I don't really have strong feelings about it one way or another. And I'm very much looking forward to watching uh, Connor Bedard and Matt Benichkov break into the league as well. So uh, yeah, I don't know. It's, it's a tricky question, but uh, I, I, I know they've considered it. They, it's, it that, that conversation has been had at the NHL about uh, making adjustments to the draft. Scott, thank you so much for taking the extended time today with us on Instigators Overtime. Uh, amazing insight. And I, I, I know uh, based on your words and observations, uh, Sabres fans have just uh, that much more to look forward to here down uh, the years to come. Thanks so much. Yeah, thank you, guys. Scott's insight is terrific. And of course, you can find his work at theathletic.com or use their mobile app. How has it altered your three stars this week? Our discussion with Scott. Uh, it's totally changed them because I went with thinking of three prospects and now by the look of it, I have to change my whole approach to the three stars because there's much more involvement in putting this prospect pool together. So yeah, it's changed the whole thing. Number three, number three, I'm going to go with Kevin Adams. I mean, since taking over all these guys that are in the top five are his picks or trades powers, Quinn Krebs. Levi and Paterka, they're all guys that he acquired or selected in the draft. So he's my third star. Number two, well, before the GM, they're scouts. And these scouts, they look for players and they look for talent. They make recommendations. So Jeremiah Crow, we just celebrated a birthday. Happy birthday, JC. Uh, anyway, Jeremiah is the director of uh, pro scouting. And Jerry Fortin was the director of amateur scouting. These two do a ton of work before presenting it to Kevin Adams. So these guys are my second star. And my first star, just because I feel bad for him, he's he's put fifth on the list of Scott Wheeler's top prospect. It's JJ Paterka. I love what he brings. I love what he'll turn out to be for the Sabres. I love his tenacity, the way that he plays the game. Maybe he doesn't have the shot that Jack Quinn does or the playmaking ability that Peyton Krebs has can't stop the puck like Devin Levi and he's not, he's not a number one overall pick, but he's my first star out of this whole group. Well, he did score his first AHL overtime winner uh, this week. And it was a cause for celebration for the Amherst because they've been going through some illness and the wins have been a little harder to come by. Now they're two Oh and two before continuing their road trip this weekend. And Paterka has been an even strength 
consistent threat, so much yep. so that he's had zero power play goals this year, but is standing atop the Amherst scoring leaders right now. So well done on that front. I'll go a different approach with my third star simply because this exercise with Scott was really enlightening to just look at the depth of the list. And yep. someone that we didn't talk about is way, way, way down there. And we might see him within the next month to month and a half with the Amherst. Lucas Rusek, who was drafted in 2019, was poised to have his first season as a pro in Rochester, a North American pro in Rochester. Knee injury derailed that. And the good news is his recovery has gone quite well. Organization, organizationally, they see Rusek as an incredibly positive kid. Um, and the rehab has been full of hard work and now targeting mid-March for a return. Competitive, two-way guy, like most needs to add a little bit of strength, but uh, the intangibles and adjectives attached to this player coming out of the Czech Republic have me very intrigued to see how he'll fit into this mix. So uh, Lucas Rusek at number three, not for future star power, but more just out of intrigue right now and getting a first look at him. Um, Ryan Johnson, you may have gathered this from, you know, my, my question to Scott. I still don't know whether we're going to see, and I, how could you, whether we're going to see Ryan Johnson play for the Buffalo Sabres, but I think his value as a chip moving forward, whether it is as a player who on a heavily loaded left side has the ability to play right side D, that could prove to be incredibly valuable, or he's still thought of very highly coming out of when he chooses to come out of the University of Minnesota as something that uh, that Buffalo can put in play to perhaps consummate a bigger deal. So the again, the intrigue surrounding Ryan Johnson is 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 just that for me. And then there's Jack Quinn. <laughs> Nothing has been more deflating than seeing him get his first NHL goal and then not being able to play after that. But the days and weeks have gone by. We are inching closer to a Quinn return. Marty, he's my uh, number one star based on what we may see yet from Quinn at the NHL and AHL level this year. What are you optimistic and hopeful well, for out of Quinn before this year comes to an end? Quinn's ability to score goals, right? And then because we now have seen Peyton Krebs' ability to be a playmaker and Dylan Cousins ability to be a 200 foot guy. And, you know, so you have Alex Tuck, a big man that can get on the four check. Like you've got so many different looks right now. It's not cookie cutter. Everybody looks the same. And Jack Quinn would add a different element. But when you, we, I have my three stars, you have your, your three stars and the, the draft is, is obviously hard, right? But everybody says, ah, oh, you drafted first overall Dallin, first overall power. You should have a good prospect pool. We didn't put power in our top three stars. Like yeah. we know he's that good. You know, he's going to be fantastic, but it's the other parts that make it that. Wow. The Sabres have such quality prospects coming through and they are developing them the right way. I love what they're doing in Rochester with them. They follow them through their, their college or European careers. So that's what makes it so impressive for me. Agreed. What's next for you? I, I mean, I'm going to be, uh, you know, keeping an eye on the prospects and uh, 
I, and obviously I want to see how they fit in with the Sabres. I'm going to start building my squad for next year and the years to come and kind of look at contracts and where the salary cap would be. Uh, I'm going to play GM in my office and kind of see where that moves on. If everything was in a perfect world of rainbows and unicorns. Ooh, I like it. You forgot the jujubes, which was uh, all part of that uh, trifecta that Tim Murray used to throw out there. Uh, the pot he- of gold would be good too. The pot of gold is always welcome. All right. Uh, once again, our thanks to Scott Wheeler for joining us on this edition of Instigators Overtime. Uh, we'll really look forward to seeing how this season culminates from a prospect development standpoint. We'll see you soon. This presented, of course, as always, by our friends at Seneca Resorts and Casinos.